Hello listeners, this is Madhvi Ravanan, a services R&D leader at Nokia, and it's the 10x growth strategies podcast. Uh, hi Kripa, pleasure meeting you today. Hey Madhvi, my pleasure. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. So before we get started, maybe you can briefly introduce yourself. Thank you, Madhvi. Um, to everyone listening, I'm Krupa Natarajan. I currently lead a product management team at Workday. And over the past 15 years, I've held various product leadership positions at many companies, mostly in the data and analytics product space. I started my career as a software developer nearly 24 years ago. Uh, and and then grew into product management and been lo- loving every minute of it. Okay, now we'll uh, get ahead with the book, Radical Candor. Can you talk about why you like the book so much and why you think anybody should uh, read that book at all, uh, Kripa? So let me start out with a quick summary of the book. Radical Candor speaks about giving and receiving compassionate feedback. The author, Kim Scott, talks about a quadrant. So imagine an x-axis that goes from the left to the right, with the right being directly challenging, clear, crisp, timely feedback. The y-axis from the bottom to the top rises in the care spectrum. So the goal is to encourage you to be on the top right quadrant, which is radical candor or giving and receiving direct candid feedback because you care. If you move down to the bottom right quadrant, the care quotient goes down, you're being direct, but you're not being nice about it, or you're not really caring for the outcome of why you're giving the feedback. This really is the asshole quadrant as the author describes it. And then moving to the top left, you care enough, but you do not deliver crisp feedback. Many of us struggle here. I personally have struggled in this quadrant many times, and I'll talk about uh, how I've, I've gone over that. And the bottom left would be where you don't care and you don't give or encourage feedback. It's what the author calls manipulative insincerity, probably the most toxic place to be. So taking a step back again, that's kind of what the book talks about, right? In my personal journey through my career, I've initially attributed success to mostly skills, you know, your dedication, your hard work, what you're learning. Having started my career as an engineer, everything is logic driven. If you're learning a lot, if you're working hard, and then everything is is all all right, right? Uh, While these are important, there's an equally, if not more important influence on one's career journey, resulting from who they are as a person. That personal aspect of us is shaped by our upbringing, our experiences, what life has taken us through, and so on. And I started realizing where these two tracks start intersecting quite a bit, right? And in, in trying to shape myself to be a better person that's able to, again, deliver even better, uh, one of my explorations, uh, those is what read led me to radical candor. In my earlier career, I struggled with saying no to anybody or questioning authority, or even was very uncomfortable providing critical feedback, right? As I grew in my leadership roles, I was always empathetic. I would never hesitate to praise and was always good with praise, but critical feedback was not something that I was able to give. So I I did stay in that top left quadrant that, that Kim Scott describes, which is I did care about people, but did could not muster my myself to provide clear, crisp feedback that was critical. So the aha moment came when I realized that holding such developmental feedback back and my inability to challenge people directly actually impedes the people that I lead from the growth they deserve, right? And quite frankly, it doesn't help me either. So that's kind of what brought me to the book and I've learned quite a bit from, from it. 
thanks for such a candid honest and uh, you know down to earth view of what you are as a person and how you found the book itself right now at the workplace how do you care for people who are working for you what sort of practices that you are habitually following today that sort of let people know that you do give a damn and you do care for them so share some insights krupa Absolutely. And, and you hit the nail on the head, Madhvi. It's one thing to care. Uh, the other is to also be explicit about actioning on that care or letting people know. And even Kim Scott talks about how compassion is different from empathy and that compassion is both empathy plus action out of it, right? So how do you express that? How do you, how do you deliver on it is, is very important. Um, to me, the most important thing is to be a listener with an open mind, right? You cannot fake caring and listening. So if you're showing up and, you know, Monday morning, you're running into people and say, hey, how was your weekend? How are you doing? And before the answer, you, you just move on and you start discussing the task and on hand or the work on hand. That question is kind of muted, right? You you didn't really wait for an answer. So it, it's it's just a pleasantry. It's, it's not genuine. And that's very easy to spot, right? That's it's just a small example, but uh, if you're not being genuine, it's very easy to spot. I definitely focus on listening. So it's very important for me to be listening with an open mind. Um, and then once you listen, don't don't throw out advice and solutions. Be a good listener, empower the person that, that you're speaking with, uh, guide, guide them through the conversation with what ifs. Try to understand more without, without jumping into, again, I've been there, done that, so I think this is what you need to do and, and things of that nature, right? Really uh, listening with that humbleness, with that open mind, guiding people, uh, empowering them to, again, just being able to to move forward with whatever it is that that's challenging them credit them on that success and don't harp on failures right? uh, but last but not least is to always follow up on what someone raised if had a conversation follow up on it if there was an action that you needed to take the the best way to show that you're listening which is to show that you're caring is to actually action on the outcome of that conversation, even if it means that you're just, you know, looping back and saying, hey, we had that conversation before. How's it going now? Is that resolved? Do you need any other help? And so on. So really closing the loop, making sure that it's not just that you're listening and forgetting, but listening and actioning and making sure that, uh, that you're expressing that through action. I like how Kim Scott talks about empathy not being the same as compassion, right? As I said, it, it really boils down to, to actioning and then gain the trust, be a guide, not a dictator. Uh, and then people would absolutely feel cared for. Also be the biggest advocate for your people, right? Um, recently in a conversation and someone uh, told me, when you promote your team, you're promoting yourself, right? When you're praising your team, you're praising yourself. I respectfully disagree. Promoting your team means you care for their success enough and you empower them to shine when you're not in the limelight. So when I enable a teammate to go to, let's say a high visibility meeting with the senior leadership by themselves and do not share, oh, I'm caring enough to put them on the pedestal and not share any of that limelight myself and that's an amazing way to show that you care right and in, in, in the workforce uh, coach in private let them shine in public again uh, people may forget what you said what exact guidance you gave but they don't end of the day forget how you make them feel so when when you show that care through your actions they they feel like they're they're trusted they're being empowered and essentially cared for 
Fantastic, Kripa. I can relate so much to every one of those points that you mentioned, you know. Now, let's talk about challenging directly, right? So, uh, you know, uh, Kim uh, recalls a very nice experience that she had with Cheryl. I think uh, Kim is on her first role in Google leading uh, ads business for YouTube. And, you know, that business is uh, uh, growing by leaps and bounds. She makes a presentation to the founders and the presentation goes well. But in between the presentation, Seems, seems to be excessively using right while in the meeting Cheryl who's her boss praises her in public and then you know uh, outside the meeting hall she takes her and then walks along with her and tells her that you know Kim this sort of looks uh, bad on you you will have to work on it and I'm happy to assign a speaking coach so you know the, the interesting part is Kim tries to brush the feedback away but then Cheryl doesn't give up you know she she just makes a blunt statement that you know that made you look dumb then you know Kim starts listening and then she works along with the coach and she gets over it so that's a fantastic experience i would say i would like to hear from you kripa what's your most recent experience of sharing critical feedback to a colleague of yours and what worked what uh, you know what didn't work what learnings you have talk about it Absolutely, Madhuri. And Kim refers to this, right? And, and a lot of us relate to it. When we are growing up, we've been told, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything, right? Like that that's kind of instilled from a very young age. And then when you're instilled with that, and then now you're in a position where someone's growth, someone's, again, career or your career and your, you know, collective success as a team actually hinges to a large degree on that candid feedback, critical feedback that's delivered in, in, in the right way, then um, you start thinking about it differently. It's a muscle uh, for me, especially it's, it's not overnight, just, just reading a line. And even if I have aha moments from the book, it doesn't happen overnight. I cannot show up the next day at work and, and be comfortable um, sharing critical feedback. It's a muscle that you build over time. It's unlearnings as much as it is learnings, right? You unlearn certain aspects of what you're told I would you know sandwich uh, a critical feedback amongst tons of positive call outs and then you, in your mind you're thinking that you're cushioning the blow but you're not getting to the feedback crisply and it's dragging it painfully longer than should and, and so on and I definitely have been there so it's as much unlearning as it is learning what the right way to do it and it's a muscle that you need to deliberately build in every opportunity that you get and, and then get better over time right um, I'll share a personal story I had just started a job uh, in a senior position and at, at some point in time, it's not recent, at some point in time, and I attended one of the first brainstorm sessions with the team in the first maybe week or week and a half of me being there. I show up very eager. These are my favorite part of my job to be able to whiteboard, to have brainstorm sessions on the product future and, and so on. I'd just been hired, very, very new there. I, I thought I have a fresh new perspective. I'm ex excited, enthusiastic to participate. And as the discussion progress, you know, I enthusiastically go up to the whiteboard, start putting down my thoughts and, and so on. And at that point in time, one of my colleagues, he stood up quite upset, visibly upset, raised his voice and said, that's never going to work. I don't want someone new just showing up and without understanding our challenges, just telling us what to do. And he said, that's just stupid and stormed out of the conference room. That was the most direct way that I had been challenged in a room full of people proposal or idea or me at that instant, I couldn't really tell which one of these was being called stupid. And I was quite humiliated. Right? Um, there was a deafening silence for sure as this person left the conference room. 
I stepped out and uh, I instinctively followed this person out, catching up with him down the hallway and said, hey, I respect your opinion. And I would love to learn about the challenges that you've heard directly from customers. I obviously have not been here long enough, so I may be wrong. Why don't you come back in there with me and uh, let's start over. Let's discuss what would work and, and let's figure things out together. Right? A, he probably was not expecting that I would follow him out and invite him back, look stunned. I was also kind of stunned with what I was doing instinctively there. And then he came back in, then we came back and started over, said, okay, let's lay down the challenges. Let's kind of understand. And it led to a really, really good discussion. And we, I went out and asked direct questions. And then we opened up a good drill down. We came up with a, a good plan at the end of the meeting. That incident was an eye opener for me, right? And in retrospect, uh, a few things came up. Definitely, if not anything in retrospect, since that meeting and very much attributed to that meeting, this person and I could quickly built a relationship of mutual trust and respect. In a few days after that, I was asked to lead his, his team, became his quote-unquote boss, um, and I had already established some credibility at that point in time. Here's what I realized, right? While this person had challenged me, maybe his choice of words and outburst was not something that I'd encourage. We both had the same context, which is we both wanted the best outcome for the product. We're both sincere in, in that outcome. By responding to it immediately in that situation, acting fast, right? We didn't table that. We didn't go back and say, oh, you know, this happened. Why don't we loop back and have a conversation or bring a, a, a common person? And we addressed it immediately. I, I followed him out. We handled the situation immediately. I gave him the feedback that, hey, you you are right. I'm probably wrong. But at the same time, we're, we're trying to do this to get to an outcome. And just storming out of the room is not a good way to get to that outcome. And then bring that back in a respectful way to, to proceed with the situation. Again, I, I did express the humbleness to admit that I, I didn't have all the background. I may have been wrong. So all of these went a long ways, right? So again, there was an establishment of the care that we both cared about the product. There was that direct challenge. He challenged me for sure directly, gave me, you know, also the probably the strength to challenge back directly and say, why don't you come back there? Let's let's figure this out together. So that was a big experience for me. I learned and grew from that experience, reflecting back on what I could have done better, what I did right, and so on. Today, I'm a lot more confident in delivering critical feedback than probably that incident. One of the things that I always stick to is that I'm timely. Right? Not only timely with praise, never let an opportunity pass to send a quick Slack message or an email appreciating someone, but also timely in providing feedback. I have regular skip level one-on-ones with my team. I welcome inputs. I try my best to take action on those inputs with ut utmost priority, again, establishing that trust and, and valuing that feedback. So again, the point here is that uh, be timely. And also the book talks about the SPI framework, which is describe the situation describe their behavior and the impact, right? By do, providing critical feedback in that framework, instead of just starting out, hey, you're wrong, or hey, you're stupid, or what, whatever it is, it enables a person receiving the feedback to understand the context, be less defensive, then zone in on the exact behavior that you're pointing out, and then uh, you know identify the impact that you're pointing out and, and then strive for a di different impact the next time around. So that 
really stuck out with me. The situation behavior impact is a great way to package the feedback. And, and in some sense, you know, that's kind of how uh, the situation that I was in panned out as well. So the, this is where we're at, this was the behavior, this is the impact, why don't we change that impact? Um, so these are kind of the tools that I've even learned and honed on from the book. Like I said, it's a muscle, it keeps developing, maybe a little bit more confident now, but there's still work uh, in terms of being able to, uh, again, provide that feedback in a way where it is constructive end of the day and that you're coming to a common situation of moving forward as, as collectively as a team. Fantastic, Krupa. I, I was like totally engrossed in your narrative, actually. Now, um, a follow-on question. The, the overall premise about radical candor is you uh, give guidance to your team, both praise and uh, critical feedback. You also seek guidance from your team and your peers and every other stakeholder in the organization. And the third part is you encourage direct feedback and praise between people who are working uh, with you. Now, let's talk about the second part where you seek uh, feedback or guidance for yourself from your team, right? I know Kim shares a number of uh, trade secrets of hers in the book, but what are your trade secrets on gathering critical feedback for yourself, be it from your team or from peers? Talk about it. Absolutely. It's even more important, right, to be open to feedback because it not only encourages feedback coming to you, but encourages your team to share healthy feedback with each other as well. So it really grows uh, and it, it's the most important thing to, to sharpen. Kim talks about having a go-to question to open up that feedback, um, you know, when you're having a one-on-one -on -one or conversation, is there anything I can do or stop doing to make things better? And, and then if the person is not answering, forcing an awkward silence, because when you're forced into a silence, you know, you're forced into breaking that silence with some kind of feedback. I do have some mixed feelings about that. One is if you're always having the same go-to question, at some point in time, it may come across a little bit insincere because you're always asking that. And at some point in time, it may become routine, right? Um, so tweak your question, definitely have a set of go-to questions that you can open conversations for feedback with, uh, but not just one uh, kind of play around in, in your own personality, in your own words, a few different ways that you're opening the feedback. So it, it seems uh, sincere and it's communicating that you really want that feedback. The awkward silence thing, that's also, right, I would say it, some people can force that awkward silence and, and kind of bring the answer out. It's a great tool. However, in my honest opinion, that tool may not work for me. So again, it's important that you kind of triangulate what, what works for you and, and how your interactions with people are, because anything that's not unnatural can definitely not look sincere, right? Uh, one of the tools that I use is... Um, if you really want feedback at that one-on-one, -on -one, at that, that instance that you're seeking the feedback, you need to have put in the work to, to enable that person to be comfortable to give you the feedback at every other situation that, that you've had. Uh, one tool that I constantly use is in, in meetings, when you're in, in a large meeting, when there's a lot of people. Uh, I do this very often where I would say, if I need to state something, I would say, I believe and say what I'm saying. And then I would explicitly call out someone on my team that is probably the closest to the problem or the subject matter expert. I'll call them out by name and say, hey, this person, feel free to jump in and keep me honest, right? Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. So even though I'm stating something, 
uh, and e even if it's a large meeting, a lot of people in it, I would explicitly call someone out where, who is the subject matter expert and say, hey, uh, I just stated this, but feel free to correct me. Feel free to keep me honest, right? And I use that phrase quite a bit. It establishes that first and foremost, um, that I'm okay to be vulnerable. The fact that my knowledge may be short, it empowers the person and anyone on, around them to speak up and correct me in a public forum. And that correction may be very technical. So they're a little bit more comfortable. They're not correcting my behavior. They're not correcting my, my leadership or anything like that, but they're correcting a factual thing or a subject matter thing, which, which is a slightly easier thing to do. And then that empowers them as a step function to, again, to, to know that I'm open to feedback, I'm comfortable with, with feedback, that I, I can establish that vulnerability. And then once that is done and you're in a one-on-one -on -one forum and then you say, hey, what can I do better? Or what, what should I stop doing? It becomes easier as a step function for them to even give you know, feedback that is broader uh, than just a factual technical thing that they corrected you on. So definitely my go-to tool is that in, in meetings, I, I definitely do that uh, and, and sincerely do that as well. I, I acknowledge that I may not know all the, all, all the details, I may be wrong. So I do call upon people to say, it's okay if that it's a public forum, keep me honest, correct me here or jump in here. Um, and, and then those, those things definitely enable, it becomes more comfortable. And then when that moment comes where you really need that critical feedback, that they're, they're not holding back, they're used to it and that they would open up. Awesome, Kripa. Thanks. Nice to know your way of picking up critical feedback for your own work. Now, we spoke about both the segments, how we give praise feedback to our colleagues and how you collect critical feedback for yourself. Let's talk about the third part now, Kripa. How do you go about encouraging exchange of direct praise and critical feedback among colleagues who are in your team. So uh, the, the particular scenario that Kim draws out is if let's say two colleagues in your team are, you know, one of them is coming to you and saying that, you know, he or she is unhappy or has some critical feedback on another colleague working in your team. So her recommendation is the manager or the leader should never encourage uh, two-party conversations where not all three are involved. So two ways of doing it is make the two people directly talk to each other and exchange that feedback. Or if it still gets escalated to you, make it a triangular conversation where all three of you are uh, part of it and never do independent two-way conversations, assuming that that's going to solve the problem, right? Now, what I would like to hear from you, Kripa, is how do you go about encouraging direct exchange of praise and feedback among colleagues in uh, your team, uh, Kripa? Talk about it. Sure, and I absolutely agree with you, right? The two-party conversations, again, you start losing some trust. Um, it almost boils down to he said, she said kind of scenarios, which you don't want to get into. Uh, definitely bringing everyone on the same page, uh, a three-way conversation. Focusing on the outcome is one of the, the, the most important things, right? Um, typically, when people are, they care about what they're bringing to the table, they care about the situation, they, they're sometimes upset that something's not going the right way. And that's what leads to these kind of quote unquote escalation scenarios. And at that moment, it's, it's important to again, remind everyone, remind ourselves that the focus is on the outcome, right? Uh, again, it's not about how we got here, but it's share feedback about where we want to go and how do we want to take that forward uh, collectively. I do encourage, uh, you know, the, the 
if there's two people involved for them to talk directly, remind them about that guidance and guardrail, which is really, you know, let's focus on the outcome. Why don't we come up with the right outcome together? And if, if they need, need this to be a three-way conversation, let's make it a three-way conversation. So if it's a two-way conversation, it's only between the two parties involved, not between the, the leader and one party and the leader and the other party and so on, right? Otherwise, bring that into a three-way conversation. Again, like I said, focus on the outcome, even the you know situation, behavior, impact kind of tool is very helpful here as well. Again, uh, instead of just focusing on what happened, it's about what was the impact that that behavior lead to in that situation and how would we like the outcome to be any different from that impact and, and what do we do to, to get us there, right? So forward looking all the time. Awesome, Krupa, thank you. So just one other uh, uh, topic that, gave me an aha moment is her reference to what she calls as rock stars in the team and superstars in the team, right? So Kim's view is every team requires people who are stable and people who are growth oriented, right? So she says people who want to work, continue to work on an area that they're handling and continue to specialize in it, continue to do great in, in, the, in that area, she calls them as rock stars. And then people who want to you know, grow and do the next challenging thing and move on, et cetera, they are the uh, superstars. And she says there needs to be a fair balance of both sort of personalities in every team, right? So what has been your uh, insights or experiences or your ways on this, uh, Krupa? Yeah, it's a great point, right? And I, and sometimes that association of growth, when it starts equating into climbing the management ladder or the corporate ladder, it becomes even more dangerous because not everyone is cut out to be on that path, right? I, I know of a superstar uh, user experience designer uh, that I've worked with, one of the most brilliant creative minds I've ever been around, is thinking towards like designing user experiences so radically different, just amazing to see how, how he comes up with these ideas. To, to encourage quote-unquote growth, if we were to make this person a manager, they'd be so unhappy in their role because they, they what this person would rather do is solve bigger problems in an innovative, creative way, uh, create experiences that are completely different from what, what products have, have uh, identified in the past and so on. And any minute you take this person away from that and ask them to like manage a team or things of that nature, it's, it's going to be miserable for for that person right so typical superstar when i think of people that i've, I've worked with uh, this person jumps up at me as a superstar the most important thing though is to not bucket people into labels um, right even when i said this person is a superstar it's not to bucket them as a superstar forever be open to the fact that we all go through our rock star phases our superstar faces, and for some of us, even our rock bottom faces, right? It's important to meet people where they are in their journeys, their faces of life, of face of their career, face of, you know, whatever journey that they're on, and encourage them for the best outcomes for them, right? Not what we picture to be growth for the person, but to really encourage them and be open to what they picture as growth for them at that particular
particular point in time. So I think in addition to that distinction that, hey, some people may not want to climb a corporate ladder to be more successful. They can be more successful. They can grow in other ways. That superstar, rockstar distinction, it's also important to me to, to not bucket people into these labels, right? It's a, it, it's a journey. We're all in different phases at different parts in life. And it's important that we recognize that for the people that are around us uh, in terms of this point in time. Like, wh where are they at? What, what will make them happy for the next, next step at, at that point in time? Absolutely great one, Kripa. I like the fact that you said it's a phase that each of us go through. I completely agree with you. Fantastic conversation, highly revealing and educational, particularly because it's all based on experience. Thanks for sharing all the insights, Kripa. Any closing notes before we conclude? Yeah, one assumption that I, I would like to address is that we sometimes think that to have these kind of radical candor conversations and to understand and, and to be able to deliver or receive critical feedback, that somehow we first need to establish and build trust. And once we've built the trust, then the candor and the direct feedback can happen. So in waiting for trust to build, first and foremost, there's no easy way to measure when you've hit that mark of, hey, now we have trust between A and B. Uh, it's, it's not easy to, to kind of measure it. So somehow you're waiting for something that is slightly intangible in terms of knowing when exactly you have someone's trust. And in waiting to, to have trust first before you're able to deliver and receive can candid feedback, you tend to wait too long, right? Many moments of development uh, are left to die. And a realization from my experience, as well as something that Kim Scott reminds her readers as well, is that in many times this candid feedback in itself delivered with compassion could be that tool that est establishes the trust. So parting note that I will leave uh, you and the listeners with is that don't wait for an arbitrary measure of trust. Start practicing that radical candor as much as you can in situations. In, and even as I look back, it's often the fear of not having trust that has held me back in cases where it should not have, right? And that has been unfair to the person that deserved that candor. So don't wait, this is what I would leave with. Thank you. Thanks so much. Fantastic conversation. Mm -hmm.